This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back. I am so excited today to be joined by Sharon Martin. Sharon is a licensed counselor and therapist in California who's worked with adolescents, the homeless, juvenile offenders, veterans, and individuals struggling with substances, trauma, and mental illness. Her writing about emotional wellness, healthy relationships, parenting, things like that have been featured on Redbook, Bustle, About.com, The Huffington Post, tons of other websites, including regular columns on Psych Central and The Good Men Project. And she's also the author of an ebook about navigating the codependency maze and a new workbook on perfectionism, which we'll talk a little bit about. Sharon, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm good. Thanks so much. I guess it's actually afternoon. Well, maybe it's morning for you. No, You're in California. It's morning so. for me. Yeah. Still, still early here. There you go. I got it right. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, we got kind of a professional bio there, but is there anything else we need to know about you? Sure. So um, currently, I am in private practice. So I um, see clients in my office a few days a week, um, and then the other days a week, I'm doing writing projects um, primarily. So as you had mentioned, I, I do some regular writing, a couple articles um, every week, and then I've been writing this book. So that has taken up a lot of time recently. Hopefully it's going to slow down a little bit now that the bulk of it is done. Yeah. And then I'm, you know, interspersing um, family responsibilities. I've got three kids, so I'm often, you know, running around after school, yeah. driving them places and... <laughs> Doing all that normal stuff in between. Yeah. So it fills up quickly. Yeah. So you're you're an LCSW. Uh, you're obviously a licensed counselor and therapist. You do a lot of writing about all sorts of things. How did you get into the mental health field and the writing field? I mean, what, what kind of drew you to all of this? Sure. Well, originally, I think, I mean, I became a social worker, probably most obviously because my mom was a social worker. She's retired now, but you know, that's what she did when I was growing up. I actually, she actually went back to school. Um, I don't know. I was, I was probably in grade school. She went back to get her master's degree in social work. So I remember that very clearly. Um, and then, you know, her working in the mental health field. Um, and then my dad, he's also retired now, but um, he was a pastor um, in a United um, Church of Christ, um, several churches over the years. But so my parents were both very much in the helping professions. So I feel like that's sort of the environment that I grew up in with the, the mindset of giving back to the community and helping people who were disadvantaged and, you know, kind of being of service. So I think that's sort of, you know, the collective experience that brought me to wanting to do this kind of work. And yeah. as you mentioned, over the years I've done, I've worked in a lot of different, you know, settings and environments, um, doing different different things. And, you know, they're all enjoyable. And I now I enjoy what I'm doing um, as well. And I enjoy, like I said, sort of the freedom of being able to run my own business and set my own hours and, you know, schedule things around um, family, things like that. So right. it's it's sort of a nice progression um, in terms of 
my career. And then as for the writing, you know, it just sort of, I guess, naturally kind of came about. Um, I started blogging just to build my own practice as a way of, you know, marketing and letting people know, you know, the kinds of things that I think about and, you know, the ideas and the approach that I have. Um, So that was really where it began. And then I guess I just sort of found out that I enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I think it was more of a creative outlet than I really expected it to be and a place to just put some of my ideas. And, you know, then it was very rewarding to see that people responded to it and, you know, people would would find that, you know, they would give me some feedback um, and let me know that it was helpful to them. Right. Um, they, you know, had learned something or, you know, gave them a new insight or something like that. So it's, you know, again, it sort of rewards itself, I think, in that way that you feel like you're doing something of service to people um, and there's a benefit. You know, that's not to say that, you know, everything I have ever written has been, you know, everyone has loved because that's <laughs> certainly not the case. There are definitely people who incredible. don't love it. Yeah. And there's, you know, criticisms and, you know, those kinds of things that that of course come with it. Um, but for the most part, it has felt like, um, you know, time well spent, I guess I will, I will say in a way for me to, you know, I think ultimately just reach more people. You know, when you're, when you're a therapist, you can only see so many people in any week that are going to come to your office and, you know, meet with you face to face. You're very, you know, limited in that way. So this has become a way you know, that I can, I think, extend some of the, you know, knowledge that I have gained over the years with a much wider audience. Um, yeah, so, you know, like everything else, it just sort of builds upon itself, I think. You just, yeah. you know, you do a little bit of it, and then you do a little bit more, and, you know, you kind of build outward. Um, so, yeah, that that's yeah. sort of just just has a, how it's happened. So, if you don't mind me asking, so I didn't know this until you just said it, even though I, you know, I reached out to you about doing this episode, and then I put together, you know, did some research on you and things. So, you just mentioned that your dad was a pastor. Mm-hmm. So, how did that work in terms of interacting, like, the faith aspect, and then, obviously, the social work aspect with your mom, and then, like, did those interact well, or, you know, sometimes those, kind of, there's this tension between them, where they, they mental health and faith, they don't like each other. I mean, how did that all play <laughs> out in your family? noticed that there was any conflict between either of those things um yeah I don't know I don't really remember it being an issue at all um you know like I said my dad I I feel like is just he's particularly interested in helping people in all kinds of ways and you know I'll tell you as you know he's you know, in his mid seventies and he does so much volunteer work. <laughs> I mean, he is always doing, you know, he, you know, travels around the country or out of the country even, you know, to do mission work and yeah. Habitat for Humanity and the Red Cross and like all these kinds of things. It's like really amazing um, stuff that he does. So I, I feel like he's always been, you know, very, you know, open-minded and, you know, just has that heart for, you know, wanting to embrace all different kinds of people, um, no matter what their struggles are. Um, So I think it was really a a good match. And, you know, in some ways, I think it's just, it's two different, maybe sides of the same coin, really. I mean, two different approaches to helping people that don't necessarily have to, you know, be in conflict with each other. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like at the heart of it is is really accepting people for who they are and, 
what they're struggling with and where they are, you know, in their life at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, part of the reason that we're talking today is you've written a couple episodes recently on perfectionism, and so we were going to talk some about that. Uh, so to start with, could you just define perfectionism? I mean, what is that? Sure, and I'll I'll tell you a little bit, um, maybe as much about what it isn't, because I think there is a lot of confusion. I actually had kind of had this back and forth um, with somebody recently on my Facebook page when I had posted something about perfectionism and, um, you know, sort of talking about how it can be really detrimental to people um, and ultimately hold them back from doing things that they want. And, you know, sometimes people get confused and think that perfectionism is the same as excellence and striving to do your best and, you know, being at the top. And that's not really what it is um, because there's nothing wrong with excellence, right? We should all strive to do excellent work and, you know, be excellent, I think, our best, right. whatever whatever that can be um, in all that we're doing. But when we're talking about perfectionism, we are really setting an unattainable goal, something that is um, more than excellent, that is, I think just like painfully high standards for ourselves, such that there's no way that we can actually attain them. You know, we're expecting ourselves to be, you know, perfect, essentially, right? That there's no flaws, there's no mistakes, you never screw up, you know, and you're just, you know, flawless in all that you do. You know, when you think about that, of course, you kind of go, of course, that's, you know, ridiculous, right? There's no way that we can do that. And yet I think when we go about our lives, we act in ways, you know, we are trying to do that or we're so self-critical when we notice that we have done something that's quote unquote wrong or, you know, that our, you know, our actions or our thoughts or our um, body, whatever it is, is less than perfect, whatever we have, you know, determined that to right. be. So we essentially, you know, when, when we're perfectionists, we essentially set ourselves up to never be satisfied, to never be pleased hmm. with what we're doing. So we're always striving to do more and more and more, and it's never enough, right? So then, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're just working and working and working, and often there's no balance, there's no rest, there's no relaxation, there's, you know, it's all at the expense of everything else, whether that's family relationships or... Hmm hobbies or interests. Um, or I would say, you know, sometimes the hobbies or interests become, uh, you know, so competitive also, right, that yeah. that nothing is just for the sake of its fun. Um, it's all for the purpose of there's a goal, and I have to achieve it, and I have to be the best at it. And yeah. if I'm not, that's really crushing. So that's sort of the other piece is that you know, it's very black and white in terms of, you know, it's either success or it's failure. And there's really not anything in between for a perfectionist. Hmm. So so that becomes a very difficult setup, right, that we've created for ourselves that, right. you know, if, you know, the, the goal is unattainable and the alternative is failure, then we're always going to be sitting in the failure camp. Hmm. Um, and obviously that's, you know, terrible for one's self-esteem and you know, even for their physical health too, right? All of the stress is um, impacts not just our our mind, um, but also our bodies. Yeah. 
So I think you've you've touched on I think my next two questions, which is great. My next two questions that I had here were how does it differ from just wanting to do our best and do things well, which you know is kind of the natural question. And then the the question I had after that is what are the potential problems or downsides? I mean, you mentioned there not n- not a lot of self care or rest or always feeling uh-huh. like a failure. I mean, how does that play out in kind of other areas of our life? Well, I think the other thing that often happens is that when you have this perfectionist mindset that you will also not try new things or things that you're not a hundred percent sure that you're going to be good at. So you're also sort of living this, you know, what I just kind of call you know, like a small life, right? You kind of create this little bubble for yourself that I'm going to stay in the safety zone, the things that I already know that I'm good at and I can be successful at. Um, but again, because we have created, you know, that black and white thinking, the perfectionist doesn't want to step out and take the risk and do something different because then you have a greater chance of failure. And so sometimes this can also manifest as procrastination, right? We're just going to not do things, um, which sometimes is a little counterintuitive because we tend to think of perfectionists as, you know, like I said, sort of work, work, work. Um, They're always doing things, which is true, but they also may avoid doing those things because of fear. There's there's really a lot of fear that's underlying it, right? So like I said, you know, you've got that fear of the failure or the the fear of not being good enough, the fear of being judged, the fear of being Mm. criticized, and all of those things, you know, want to just kind of pull you in, I feel like, to that small little world, you know, where you're, you feel like you're in control and you feel like you can avoid, um, you know, that rejection and the, the criticism by just sticking to the things that you know that you're good at. Um, so that's another way that it can show up. Um, yeah. And that, that I would guess is related to some anxiety, right? I mean, if then you have to do something that you're not sure you're good at yet, you know, a lot of you, you labeled it there as fear, but I mean, also kind of anxiety uh-huh. of, oh, well, now I have to do this thing. What if I'm not good enough? Things like that. Yes, absolutely. There's, you know, right, fear and anxiety, you know, maybe go very, very closely together. Um, So yes, absolutely. There's that anxiety and that sort of, um, you know, nervous energy and the worry. Um, You know, like I said, oftentimes it's, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes it's conscious and maybe sometimes it's unconscious. Um, But I absolutely agree with you that it's sort of that underlying, you know, feeling that's there all of the time is that is the worry that you're not going to be measuring up and you're not going to be good enough and you're not going to, you know, be pleasing other people. You know, I think it's it's often just as much about trying to meet other people's expectations as it is to trying to meet your own expectations. Right. So so I mean, perfectionists tend to have very high expectations for themselves but often those have come from, you know, having parents or, um, you know, other people in their lives who also had very, very high expectations for them. And then, of course, perfectionists often have very high expectations of other people in their lives. Um, so that can create a lot of relationship tension, um, you know, in a marriage or with one's children. If, you know, if you have, you know, perfectionist expectations for other people and they're never going to live up to them. Um, then again, we've, you know, set a stage for an impossible, you know, situation in which people are not going to be happy with each other, feel like the other person's constantly letting them down. Yeah. 
So you're going to keep being one step ahead of me because one of my next things was, where does this come from? You know, is it learned from parents or, or things like that, which you've just mentioned there? Are there other places that this tendency maybe is that comes from or stems from other than just parents? Well, I think beyond parents, it's definitely, you know, a cultural mindset, you know, in the United States, I guess I can't really speak to other places, but, you know, I... I live in um, Silicon Valley, you know, an area of California that is, um, you know, this is the center of, you know, a lot of technology. We've got a lot of big um, name companies, you know, Apple and Google and on and on. Um, So we've got a lot of really high performing, very driven, you know, very innovative people that come to this area. And it is... Also, a very, very high stress place to live that people are, you know, going and going. And I don't think it's, you know, exclusive just to this area, but just as an example, you know, I think we have definitely created a culture here, you know, where where kids are feeling a ton of pressure, um, you know, in terms of school and even extracurricular activities, you know, getting into college and, um, you know, getting you know, not even just straight A's, but, you know, above, you know, all A pluses and, you know, being in everything, you know, the best at all of these activities, there's just, you know, so much pressure on kids. Um, I feel like I don't, you know, I don't have the, you know, research to tell you, but I definitely feel like, you know, this, you know, generation from one generation to the next, that it really, we have been really putting a ton of, um, expectations on our kids in this regard, you know, telling them that they have to, you know, not just do well, but be the best. And so there's, you know, it's very competitive um, in the schools in my area. So, you know, I think that, you know, it does, you know, it does come from parents, but then it goes beyond that too. And it creates, you know, a culture. And then of course we've got the media and, you know, other influences, you know, that are coming in and telling us that, you know, you have to look a certain way and you have to do a certain thing and um, act a certain way, you know, and so those are all different kinds of expectations that are put on us too. And and then I think we sort of do it to each other in terms of, you know, students, you know, have this competitive, um, you know, mentality with each other. And, you know, you sometimes you see parents are competitive with each other and, <laughs> right, it's sort of, it's sort of silly, but there's, there is like this mindset of, you know, I have to be, you know, as good as or better than, you know, everybody else. Right. Um, or there's something wrong with me, I think is is sort of the message that underlies that. Um, Well, I'm glad you brought up kind of adolescence and college age because I know that you've done some work there and I've done a lot of ministry with like college students, college ministry, and I've done a little bit of like youth stuff and I Mm -hmm. I taught in a private high school and things like that. And so I would say that that is like the overwhelming sense that you get of like anxiety of I have to be the best or I have to be good enough you know there was an article maybe a couple months ago on psychology today about the toll that perfectionism is taking on college students and I forwarded it to everybody I do college ministry with Uh because I thought it was so spot on of what we see in our students of you know I'm not going to be good enough I have to be better I have to be hard like try harder even though I mean they're already great like they're good at a lot of things but it's this pairing of I'm not going to do something unless I know I'm going to be good at it and everything that I do, like, I have to be perfect at, you know, which is just unrealistic. 
Right. And it's, it's a very rigid way of thinking. You know, sometimes I think about it like, you know, the perfectionists, they get their mind that there's only one path to success and they must follow, you know, these particular steps. You know, it's, I need to, you know, graduate and be the valedictorian in high school and I need to get into the Ivy League school. And then, you know, there's pieces to it and life never goes according to plan. So, whatever path it is that we think we are on or whatever goals we have set for ourselves, um, I think we start to realize that there are, there are multiple ways that we can get there. And it's not, you know, life doesn't happen, you know, such that you just set the goal and you achieve it and, you know, you set the next goal and you achieve it. But, you know, it's a very roundabout path that most of us take. And I think one thing that can be really helpful for us to help our children is to understand that there isn't necessarily one direct path to whatever they're hoping to achieve or whatever they're desiring to have in life. But um, if we can sort of open that up, you know, and see that there are, you know, not just that there are many possibilities of things that we can do, but there are many ways that we can get there. I think that kind of breaks down some of that rigid perfectionist thinking, you know, that tells you that you must do things a particular way and really that there's only one way to do them and anything else is a failure or a mistake. Um, And if we can really try to value, you know, some of those mistakes and failures as learning opportunities, because, I mean, of course, they're inevitable. There is nobody who is going to, you know, not have any of them. And so we really do ourselves a disservice when we have that perfectionist mindset that says, oh, these things are bad. You know, it was wrong for me to do this. It was wrong for me to make that mistake. I should have known better. And you get into all that self-criticism, you know, and telling yourself that that you were, you know, you know, a failure or not smart enough or not pretty enough or not articulate enough or whatever the particular thing is, you weren't enough, then instead that we can see that not only are these things, you know, normal and things that everybody experiences, but there's really a lot of great information in there. That is sort of the the meat of learning is, you know, trying things and seeing what doesn't work. Um, you can almost sort of think of life as a big experiment instead right. of, you know, <laughs> you know, a test where there's a grade at the end. Um, mm. But but we can, you know, be, you know, learning all these things in between. Um, because, I mean, obviously, you know, as we have already said, you know, if you have that mindset that I have to do it and I have to do it perfectly, then I'm just not going to do a lot of things. Right. Because I don't want to experience failure when I have decided that failure is intolerable and failure is a sign of weakness or something inadequate about myself. But I'm much I'm much more willing to take a chance when I can understand that, you know, again, the sort of the quote unquote failure here is something that everybody experiences. It's not um, a reflection of something that's wrong with me. And maybe I can learn a lot of great things about myself or about life or about other people that can be really useful by taking a chance and not doing it so great. Yeah. So I know you have, there's a, a blog you've written called The Link Between Perfectionism and Codependency. And at the end of that, there's kind of seven tips for letting go of perfectionism. Do you have other one? I mean, you mentioned a couple of them there, but either for ourselves 
or for if we have people that are listening that have kids or that are teachers or youth pastors or whatever it is to when they see kind of this perfectionist mentality in the people that they're interacting with, how to help influence them positively? Well, one of the things that I find really helpful is to bring in some self-compassion. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about part of what happens with perfectionism is there tends to be a lot of self-criticism, right? And there's a fear of external criticism. Um, And sometimes that has been the reality, right? Sometimes people have really experienced a lot of criticism from from other people and other sources in their lives. Um, So one of the things that we want to do is teach, you know, not just kids, but adults as well, that they not only do they you know deserve to have compassion but they can give it to themselves and that is sort of the antidote for you know the self criticism but if we can acknowledge that yes you know this has been really hard for me i'm feeling really um unhappy with myself um or i've been really down on myself about this um it hasn't felt good and i can sort of acknowledge the painful piece of that and then say, what is it that I need right now? How can I you know, support myself? How can I be um, emotionally kind to myself? What could I say to myself that would be encouraging um, and comforting and soothing here? I think sometimes we have gotten into you know, a false sense that, that almost like the being unkind to ourselves um, is not only deserved, but on some level that it, that it's like it's going to motivate us. Like if we're really, really hard on ourselves, that's going to make us want to do better. But I think it's actually the opposite and that when we can be compassionate with ourselves, that's when we can do better. And, and I think if you, if you think about this as if it was a different person, right, if you're talking about your child or a friend of yours, um, and, you know, I think that makes it easier to see that when you're really hard and critical of, of other people, it doesn't tend to make them want to do better, right? It tends to make them feel ashamed of themselves or right. bad about themselves. And it's really hard to sort of do better when you're feeling really lousy about yourself, right? So if we can, you know, build people up and give them encouragement and tell them it's okay that, you know, they made a mistake and, you know, and then we can, you know, like I said, you can do the same thing for yourself, um, that that can be a really powerful tool to help people with the perfectionism. Um, and then I think like, you know, you were mentioning earlier um, that there's this anxiety that underlines it. So oftentimes getting some help for the anxiety component of it can be really help helpful. Um, so sometimes that might be some professional help to deal with that. Or, you know, there are some techniques that you could use, like some, you know, cognitive reframing techniques that can be helpful. You know, when you sort of notice that you're in this perfectionist, rigid, black and white kinds of thinking, but to be able to look for those shades of gray in between um, instead of just saying, you know, I have to choose success or failure. But what else is there? You know, one one of the right. things that I use with my clients and that's um, one of the things that's in the, the new book that I'm working on is the idea of looking for what I call partial successes, right? The idea mm. that there's a lot of things in between success and failure <laughs> that aren't, you know, instead of saying if it's not perfect, it's a failure. But we could say, well, this is a partial success. You know, I did some of it or, you know, that there's all these different pieces to, you know, whether something is quote unquote successful here. You know, let's just say if you had decided you wanted to 
start a, a new exercise regime and you said, you know, my goal is that I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. And then if you only get to the gym three days this week, instead of feeling like, well, that's a failure, right? I didn't go five days. That was the goal. So I didn't do that. You know, instead you could choose to look at that as a partial success. Well, I went three days this week, which was, you know, three days more than I went the week before. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, this is, there's still a lot of benefit in doing some of something or, you know, having it done imperfectly. A lot, a lot of things in life really don't have to be done perfectly. You know, there's still they're still worth doing even if they're not done, you know, completely, you know, even some things, if they're not finished, you know, you think about things like, you know, cleaning your house or something like this, you know, when you set it up as, you know, what's the point of doing it if I can't do it perfect? Well, obviously there, there is, you know, a benefit in a lot of things in doing some of it. Um, So that idea of sort of, there's partial success or right celebrating the the parts of it that you can learn from the parts that you can build on things like that yeah absolutely yeah and then and then I think there are you know there are other techniques that we can use you know to just sort of deal with anxiety in general right Um, whether that's you know a meditation practice you know personally I'm a big fan of journaling and just writing about things Um, to me I feel like that brings a lot of awareness to our thoughts and trying to you know really kind of get in touch with what are those fears that are underlying it what are those things that are holding you back from from doing things or noticing some of those rigid thought patterns um because awareness obviously is always you know that first step and change yeah in that article that i referenced a second ago the link between perfectionism and codependency one of the things i mean you write about shame and you write about self-esteem and one of the things you write about is trying to earn our worthiness by being Mm -hmm. perfect And you've talked some about how perfectionism will impact kind of our interpersonal relationships. Uh, Can you touch on that for a second? I mean, obviously, you've written a bunch about codependency and how that links with perfectionism. I mean, how does that play out? Yeah, absolutely. So like, like you were saying, I mean, part of what happens with perfectionism is there's really sort of an underlying feeling of not being good enough. And that is that piece that we're always trying to, I, I, you know, sort of fill up that, that void and prove to ourselves or to other people that we are good enough, that we are achieving more and more. And that becomes that driving force. So, so often those are, you know, the seeds that get sown in childhood um, from our our childhood experiences of feeling like um, there's something wrong with us. And sometimes that's unfortunately because somebody has specifically told you that, or it can be a feeling that, you know, sort of becomes part of your mindset and part of your identity because of other things that are happening in your family, Um, whether it's, you know, very demanding harsh parents or or even parents who are um, sort of on the other extreme and are really disengaged and don't provide a lot of emotional support or encouragement or maybe interest in who you are as a, as a person. All of those things can create that feeling of that I am not sure that I have value as a person. And then that sort of you know moves you down that path of um, feeling like the achievement is a way for me to feel like I have done something. It's sort of like this tangible evidence of my value. You right, know, if I right. win a trophy or I get a college degree or 
you know, get a job with an impressive title or, you know, something like that becomes okay. something I can, you know, show to the rest of the world that I have value. And then there was something else that I was going to say, and now I forgot what it was. <laughs> um, oh, I think it was, it was something along the line of also, there's this component of people pleasing that, that is part of it too. So, so I think oftentimes we're, we're not just doing things because we want to do them, but, you know, we have now taken on what other people want us to do, you know, and again, that's often um, parents um, or it could be your spouse or, you know, other people. Um, yeah, or this cultural component we've talked about. Yeah, where- yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think it kind of spreads out to, to all all of our relationships. It's, you know, when you have that fear of not being good enough and you're, a, you know, don't want to be rejected or criticized, you end up needing to keep everybody else happy, essentially. Um, because that feels like some some way of me trying to control that anxiety, you know, that if I'm doing what you asked of me and doing it, you know, in this wonderful perfectionist way um, that makes me feel like I will keep you happy and therefore you will not be displeased and you will not say anything harsh or critical of me. The reality, of course, is that does not actually guarantee, you know, that people are going to like you or that people are going to Right. <laughs> you know, be happy with everything that you do. It doesn't really work that way. Um, so it ends up being something that we do because it feels, it, it sort of quiets that anxiety. It makes us feel like we have some control over the situation um, when we don't have really that much. But again, I mean, the problem ends up being that, you know, now you're sort of living your life for other people. You're doing what other people are always wanting you to do rather than really thinking about what's right for me. You know, is this in line with my goals? Is this in line with my values? Right. You know, is this what I'm really hoping to do with my life? Yeah, we kind of get into that place of, you know, just kind of going through the motions of what other people want us to do. Yeah. I think what's interesting is this conversation kind of gives us a scope, and I think we, we know it most of the time, but of kind of how all of these things with mental and emotional health and physical health and relationships are so interwoven. I mean, we've talked about people-pleasing and codependency and, you know, this cultural component of am I good enough and proving our and self-esteem and shame and, you know, all these things are so linked together that i mean we sometimes like to kind of point to one thing and say this is just the the problem or this is just the cause but it's really you know so so much bigger than that so much uh, more interlocked than that yeah right i mean it all it all connects because our you know our thoughts and our feelings and our bodies they're all you know those dynamic systems that yeah. are working together and influencing each other for sure yeah. The last thing that I want to point listeners to, there's a, a blog you've written on Psych Central called 22 Ways to Love Yourself More that I thought was really good. Just wanted to point that out and recommend that. There'll be links to all these articles in the show notes, of course. If you want to connect with Sharon, you can find her on her website, livewellwithsharonmartin.com, or on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest, at smartinlcsw. On Facebook, you can search for Sharon Martin LCSW, or you can pre-order the Perfectionism Workbook on Amazon. I just looked, and it's up for pre-order. Is it? Exciting. Oh. It is. Yeah, it says 2019. So Yeah, it's supposed to be out January 1st. So yeah. I'm surprised it's up there already, but wonderful. There you go. Uh, if you want to connect with me, you can find me at robert-vore.com or on social media at Robert Vore. Sharon, before we close out, do you have any closing words for our listeners? Maybe if they're struggling with perfectionism or somebody that they're close to, um, any, any closing words for them? Well, 
I guess I just want to reiterate, you know, the the idea of trying to give yourself some some self-compassion, really. I feel like that's probably um, a simple thing that people could do for themselves right now is to, you know, to think about, you know, what would feel good for them to do or say um, to themselves to give themselves some of that love and comfort. Um, and thanks for mentioning there's that blog post with some other ideas. But I, I think if you're waiting you know, for yourself to be perfect or to achieve a particular goal before you feel like you need to celebrate yourself or be happy with yourself, you know, you're never going to probably feel that way. Um, and I think if, you know, you sort of reverse this and think about how can I be good to myself, that will probably help you be the person that you want to be ultimately, you know, and accept the imperfect, you know, parts of yourself, um, which we all have. Um, so I would, I would start with that is really, you know, think about something nice that you could say to yourself, um, and notice some, some things that you are doing right or some things that you like about yourself. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, taking some time to talk to us and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Oh, thanks so much, Robert. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHPodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.